Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome to issue 4090 of the Bugle, audio newspaper for a world now about to enter its 38,000th consecutive year of being visual. I am Andy Zaltzman, and you can call me the human cannonball, because like a cannonball, I've been overtaken by more modern, newer versions of myself that operate way more efficiently, have a much wider reach and don't weigh as much. It is the 7th of December, not for the first time, and we are here in London, and I'm delighted to say I'm joined by, uh, well, someone who's not been on this show for quite a long time. Uh, Welcome back, after an exciting year, to Helen Zaltzman. Thank you, Andy. Happy Hanukkah. I suppose it is, according to my Google calendar of uh, Jewish holidays that I do not observe. Have you been uh, hanging your eight stockings on your special candlestick? (laughs) Been setting fire to them, that's what you're supposed to do. (laughs) Um, You've had quite an exciting time since you were... Well, I think the last show we did together was uh, in in the States in in May. Since when, you've been on a globe-trotting brush with death. Yes, that's uh, how I like to do it. Uh, Take it far away from home so no one can visit. So you spent, what, six, eight weeks in a Tasmanian hospital? Only three weeks in the three Tasmanian weeks. hospital, Andy. It felt that long. It did feel long. Yeah. I uh, learned a lot about my roommate's urine. Oh, right. Colin, <laughs> who was in there with an ice skating injury. <laughs> 85, still ripped. Right. Uh, oh. The nurse was like, wow, you're 85. And he was like, yeah, I chop a lot of wood. <laughs> so that is the secret of staying young. All right. 85. Yeah. And joining us with his trademark whisper of the number 85. 85. Which <laughs> so well known for. <laughs> in London, all the way from the USA, it's Hari Kondabolu. How are you, Andy? Hello, Helen. How are you? Hi, Hari. Um, Do you think it was rougher to be in Tasmanian hospital for three weeks or to get the online feedback to your documentary? <laughs> oh, I would have taken the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> I, at same, this point, same, yes. Same. Yeah. Fewer death threats in the hospital, I know. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably not the appropriate place for it. Yeah. So despite you not being one of God's chosen people, unlike mm-hmm. uh, Helen and I, um, w- welcome. And uh, how's, uh, how's London treating you? London uh, has been uh, rainy and cold. You and are welcome. <laughs> it has been exactly as advertised. Have you seen a lot of uh, infant chimney sweeps around doing the full Dickens Christmas bit? Oh, yeah, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. The whole thing. It's very embarrassing for the nation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what um, we voted for. <laughs> if only we had a sense of shame. <laughs> It's been okay. I've been performing at Soho Theatre. Uh, I'm halfway done with the run. I don't like your reviewers. <laughs> I think the oh. system of reviewing stand-up is stupid, and it's for dummies. Right. How yeah. else would you do it? Just have like a big thermometer on stage during the gig that goes up and down according to how well a joke does. Um, I would rather people, you know, we, you know, I, I'm less scientific about it. People laugh. Oh, this feels good. They didn't laugh at that. They're stupid. And then uh, <laughs> you you feel good at the end of it. Right. So- I'd I'd like to go down the statistical route as a semi-professional cricket statistician. <laughs> I'd you know like the percentage of jokes that hit, mm. then the depth the depth with which the joke hits, the volume tone length of each laugh yeah you could do a multi-dimensional graph with that yeah. but what do you do when it's a long setup and it's a huge build don't you lose statistically out of that that what it is very hard to measure that it's like measuring the true worth of a test match innings it's, you know trad stats don't always do it yeah yeah i was thinking the exact same thing <laughs> <laughs> anyway this is Bugle 4090, getting closer and closer to that historic 10,000th episode mark. Uh, and uh, we are recording on Friday the 7th of December. On this day, 
1732, hopping distance from where we are recording here in uh, London, uh, the Royal Opera House opened in uh, Covent Garden. Uh, now home of the Royal Opera and the Royal Ballet. Uh, it's uh, sparked in 1732 an instant 27% rise in reported incidences of unwarranted warbling, a 19% upsurge in vocalised overreaction to personal misfortune, and paved the way for the political failures of Brexit, because the Royal Opera House has also provoked a 78% decline in the ability and willingness of people to discuss matters calmly, maturely and sensibly without making a song and dance about everything. Um, Thank you. On the 10th of December in 1317, just 701 short years ago, the New Shopping Banquet happened in Sweden, at which King Berger of Sweden seized his two brothers, Valdemar and Eric, and uh, threw them in a dungeon and starved them to death. Hashtag awkward family Christmas. Um, his name was King Berger? Yep, it was King Berger. <laughs> I mean... It, has that family sued the restaurant at his, all? His legacy, <laughs> his legacy lives on. <laughs> <laughs> it was King Burger of Sweden? Yeah, and he killed, ironically, starved, starved his brothers to death. Oh my god, <laughs> that was an unhappy meal. <laughs> <laughs> um, on the tenth of December, seventeen sixty-eight, so two hundred and fifty years ago. The first edition of the Encyclopedia Britannica was published. All knowledge in the world squidged into just three books. Uh, there were 40 pages devoted to diseases of horses, but no information about children, which, <laughs> to me, that remains the correct way to go about things. And uh, three pages about midwifery that were so scandalously factual that King George III demanded they were ripped out of all copies of the book. Uh, and apparently, according to the original encyclopedia, vermicelli is an aphrodisiac. Um, I don't know how that stood up to scientific research when you since were, then. When you were delivering your son, did you look up how to do it in the encyclopedia? I, I did not, no. Uh, well, I mean, midwifery is not the kind of thing that you can learn to do. Uh, it's one of those things, you've either got it or you haven't. And uh, I found out that day. Like perfect pitch. Ten years ago next week, I just found out I've got it. Wait, so you mean like there's you're born with that knowledge? Yeah. So if you're a five-year-old and yeah. you're born with it, you could deliver children? Yeah, you could. So the fact they don't get to is age discrimination more than anything else. Well, it is, yeah. Or huh. is yeah. it child labour laws? Oh, yeah, you're right. We never think about this. We always think about kids in factories, but not the talented children that could deliver other children. Yeah, but the, the world is full of injustice. As always, a section of the Bugle is going straight in the bin. This week, we look at humanity's cyborg future. Are you human? Yes, that's unimpressive these days. You're getting close to being obsolete. No offence. Because the cyborgs are coming, and uh, in this section of the bin this week, we review the latest electro-compute-tech hack modifications to your objectively anachronistically outdated human body, um, including the Olfactotronic Conctech 2.1, a chip in your nose that instantly tells you exactly what that lovely stroke not lovely smell is from freshly baked Panamanian penguin cakes to the sweet petroleum musk of a horny motorbike ding an instant message sent to your brain with thinkable internet links to where you can buy those precious scents on the dark net not only that but it's also well known that smell can provoke powerful feelings of nostalgia and memory and even if that smell means absolutely nothing to you personally and prompts no emotional associations uh, with your own life a secondary memory faker chip in your prefrontal cortex in your brain will crank into action and load up someone else's memory from its online database of millions of recollections are you bored of not being able to toast bread with your own body well that tedium is going to be a thing of the past 
if you have heating elements implanted in the back of your previously untoasty hand. The back of the hand, traditionally one of the least useful parts of the body, at least since parental disciplining procedures evolved through the 20th century. But now, toast anything, ranging in size from a crumpet to a muffin, on your Body Chef hand grill, powered by the natural electricity of your nervous system and or personality. Waterproof gauntlets, advice for rainy days, not recommended for intimate use. And the sit-safe arse alarm... <laughs> Using technology pioneered for reversing cars, a simple set of cameras and sensors implanted in your buttocks can warn you if you're about to sit on something or someone that you don't want to sit on. Uh, with built-in uh, chair and bench recognition technology, the sit-safe Arcelon will bleep only if your intended seat contains an extraneous object or person. Save time looking around for an empty seat on trains, buses and tubes. Now simply shuffle along until you find a spot where the alarm doesn't go off and bingo, somewhere free to sit. That section on Cyborg's in the bin this is where the bugle plays right <laughs> top story this week uh well brexit again and and still and uh what a week it's been in uh in the world of brexit we've been doing some uh national open cast soul searching here in britain and not entirely liking what we've been digging up um helen you were out of the country for what, nine months? No, longer than that. Yeah. A year? Not long enough, evidently. And you've returned to <laughs> even more chaos than you left. It's, yeah, it's really quite impressive the way they keep outdoing themselves to make a bad situation more bad. But yeah. it's, uh, I suppose, good that they're exceptional at something. It's a little bit more complicated for me because as a person with Indian heritage, I really do enjoy British failure and suffering. <laughs> <laughs> so there's that part of me. But as an American citizen, I don't really have a high ground to stand on when it comes to choices, right? But it does seem very bizarre uh, to begin with the fact that the UK would leave the EU because they were barely in it to begin with, considering that you had your own currency and you didn't sh sign on to the Schengen Agreement, so you controlled your own immigration, so you were barely in it. So essentially, this news is like Nightcrawler leaving the X-Men. Right. Know? Like, oh no, not Nightcrawler. <laughs> what are we going to do without Nightcrawler? <laughs> Who is going to crawl at night now? Like, it's not... So it's not that big a thing, so that already it was weird, but... So are you saying we are taking back control of things that we already had control of? Yes, I mean, that's my oh. expert outsider analysis. Also, it seemed like an incredibly good deal. Like, it not only, like, were you barely in it, you still had the advantages of it. It's almost like being in an open relationship where only you are allowed to have sex with other people, and then somehow, for some reason, one day you're like, I'm feeling smothered. <laughs> I am an autonomous being, and I will live by my own rules. And then you break up with the person, and the next day, for some reason, you wake up, and you're like, I am very lonely now. Is there someone to trade with or snuggle? Where were you with all these similes before the vote in June 2016? <laughs> um, it's been a, a thrilling week in Parliament. The government was defeated in uh, not one, not two, not three, not four... But three votes, did I already say three? For three? It was three. Three votes in a day. That's the first time a government's lost three votes in a day since the 1970s. They also found in contempt of Parliament. Wow. For the first time ever. Not just in contempt of every human being. No, no that's just the basic state of political existence for all governments. Um, but in contempt of Parliament. Um, uh, and it's quite interesting insight into how our Parliament works. That This resulted from a what's called a humble address. 
Uh, and if I may quote from the humble address, uh, the humble address will be presented to Her Majesty that she will be graciously pleased to give directions that the following papers be laid before Parliament. Any legal advice in full, including that provided by the Attorney General on the proposed withdrawal, blah, 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 blah. I'd, do you think the Queen is graciously pleased by this? I don't think she gives a f- No, I think I mean, she does have that look about that, to be honest. She is well over this. Yeah. She's like, I'm, what, 92, 91, 92? I'm not going to have to live with this. Well, I mean, you say that, but, you know, we keep singing that national anthem. She's going to stay alive forever. God is not going to let her slip off the perch. <laughs> Wait, so whether or not the nation suffers, she's still queen, right? Yeah. Mm. And she gets to keep everything? Yeah, absolutely. That's the rules. All the oh. crowns. Yeah. So she doesn't need to care at all. <laughs> like, this is completely, this is other people's suffering, yeah? Yeah. yeah. It's a great system. Hmm. You guys in America, you, you should give it a go someday. <laughs> well, maybe she's thinking... Been there, done that. <laughs> well, England went and f***ed a lot of other countries, and now it's time to come home and f*** itself. A bit of quality me time, I guess. The Queen responded with the tradition passed down from history with the words, f***'s sake, what now, you meddling shitheads? I'm watching the f***ing horse racing. If you wanted me to actually do something, you might have liked to think about that before, but you chopped the noggin off my great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-uncle Charlie. Nachos, please. I've got a pony on the 340 at Haydock. Um, there's a five-day debate in Parliament currently Ooh. underway. You like things that last five days, like I do. cricket. It is very much like a test match. How would you cricket. advise them to keep the interest going for such a long time? I think the key is to have regular intervals for meals and drinks. <laughs> so you want two hours debating, 40 minutes off for the lunch interval, two hours debating, 20 minutes for tea, and then two hours mm. plus an extra half hour if you debate slowly. Should they all dress the same? Yeah, I think everyone should be dressed in, in white and applaud politely. And wear pads. And occasionally abuse each other out of uh, range of the microphones. Yeah, absolutely wear pads and and genital protectors. And hats for the yep. sun. Also, they should be drinking, and that way it's more entertaining the longer it goes. I think we'd probably have a far more lucid, high quality of debate if there was compulsory drinking in Parliament. <laughs> I think that was the foundation of ancient Greek democracy, I'm pretty sure. Theresa May, uh, looking as ever as happy as a pig in a pork pie, um, although at least for the pig it's over. Do you feel at all sorry for her, Helen, after the year that's, that she's had? Yes and no. I think it would be hard for anyone to really succeed in the position she's been in however i do think she has done a worse job than she needed to and has also been consistently terrible throughout her political career and inhumane (laughs) so i suppose i've convinced myself that the answer to your earlier question is no right do you (laughs) i don't feel sorry for her but she has got that look it's very similar to the look of a dog that knows you've just made her last appointment with the vet she just seems to know what's coming some kind of instinct I don't know. I think that would be a sweet release. It's more like a dog that is being adopted by a family with a really annoying and sadistic child. (laughs) And the dog is only like eight, so there could be several years of this left. The uh, debate has been, uh, well, hotly contested. And the nation is essentially split. um, And the options are to please 50% of the people, to please the other 50% of the people, or to please neither the 50% nor the other 50%. And option C seems to be essentially what the government is going to get through Parliament. That is the fair choice. Um, There's been some very heartfelt speeches from uh, various MPs. Uh, Harmonicus Gravely Strange, the Conservative MP for West Snutterbridge, said that he was a descendant of someone who died at the Battle of Hastings, and he said, we must respect the votes of the now dead. 
uh, and people who are now of voting age or will at some point be of voting age in the future have only themselves to blame for not faking some ID and voting on Brexit when they have the chance. Fair call. Porchetta Cudlick, the Liberal MP for Illingworth Raymond, uh, said Britain should not rush into it. We should have a 20-year rolling second referendum where people's average view on the EU is calculated on a minute-by-minute basis, culminating in a result in the year 2039. Ken Bagatelle, Labour MP for Glarch, said that we should pretend to leave and hope that no one looks at it too closely. That's the Hong Kong option, I believe it's known. And James Bexley Sidcup, the Conservative MP for Broken Charges, stood in Parliament and sang his new song, Maggie Maggie, Please Come Back. (laughs) Hastings has a kind of pudding, right? The Hastings pudding. Is that a thing? I think you have hasty pudding that uh, Harvard has a thing. Oh, I thought... Sort of like a corn porridge. Okay, I thought thought maybe Hastings had a pudding. You're right, I was thinking of hasty pudding. We only have dawdling puddings here. (laughs) Dawdling puddings, I don't think he's also a parliamentary constituency. Won't someone, Andy, think of our home county, Kent... Because today in the news there were plaintive articles saying that a no-deal Brexit could cause major disruption across Kent uh, because of all of the uh, piles and piles of lorries that are stuck in Kent, unable just to saunter over to the continent anymore. And they're saying rubbish won't be collected, children won't be able to take exams, people won't be able to register for weddings, bodies won't make it to the morgue (laughs) in Kent. (laughs) Only Kent. Just Kent. Kent's going to become the most exciting place in the world. Finally. Some kind of dystopian... Very stationary Mad Max future. <laughs> it's got the castles for it. Um, I mean, the, the, the body's not reaching... The, I mean, also, takeaway deliveries could be delayed by up to 15 minutes in some parts of the country. That Ooh. puts in perspective... That's a nightmare, the noodles will go mushy. Yeah, and people could easily die in operating theatres because their new lung is stuck on the M20. So, tough times ahead for Britain. For Kent. The, uh, that's not all that could happen. The stock market could fall. In Kent. In Kent, by anything between <laughs> naught and 50,000%. Uh, train services could collapse into absolute chaos, thus improving by 15%. Uh, the sh- a shortage of medical and care staff could lead to the government having to conscript clever dogs to be emergency heroes like Lassie. Works in Peter Pan. Yep. And TV detectives could get wor- uh, 45% worse at solving fictional crimes. The Queen could get 8% shorter. There'll be an infestation of warthogs. And Britain will be struck from the list of potential venues for the second coming of Christ. So, it was still on the list? <laughs> it's a long list. Hmm. So the possible scenarios are no deal, shit deal, renegotiate less shit deal, renegotiate even shitter deal, attempt to renegotiate less shit deal but come back with the same shit deal, an awkward smile waving a little Union Jack flag, a second referendum with two or three options, a second referendum with 300 options, one for each plausible variation of leave or remain, a second referendum with no options at all. I quite like this one. It's just a blank piece of paper, um, which you can just write whatever you want. Uh, I mean, it won't solve anything, but it'll be essentially what we've got now. Uh, Civil War. We shouldn't write write that off, because it's worked quite well in the past. Wars of the Roses culminated in 1485, just 100 years later, plus a bit Shakespeare. Who would the civil war be with? The di- the different nations of the United Kingdom? Oh, it's just a massive pile in. Everyone just oh. fighting into fight, each other. Fight, fight, Not armed, just like a like a fist fight, a British fist fight throughout the country. Yeah. Okay. Uh, all Scotland, Northern Ireland, and Wales could stay in the EU but leave the UK and be replaced by Ecuador, Togo, and Bhutan. So we keep the four nation union. I think we'd all be in favour of that. Bhutan is, is annually called the happiest place on earth. That ranking would go down if it joined the uh, the UK. 
Yeah. We can drag any nation down. <laughs> <laughs> Pessimism. And natural cynicism. That's what the Empire was all about. We saw a happy world and we thought, no. Our greatest export. Has <laughs> Britain ever had a crack at Bhutan? At Bhutan? Yeah. Or is it too mountainous and we don't have the skills or the altitude abilities? I don't know. I'll answer that in minutes. Yeah. Chris is on the Bhutan research. <laughs> It was invaded by the British. Of course, because it's a place in the world. What were we trying to get from them? Um, 1865, Treaty of Cinchilla after its defeat by the British Empire. Uh, Blah, 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 British Protectorate. Blah, 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 separatist groups. Blah, 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 Britain not there anymore. All right. (laughs) (laughs) A dance as old as time itself. In American news, Mike Pence addressed a crowd during World AIDS Day and uh, once again, as seems to be the administration's policy, did not mention the LBTQ community, which has the most people affected by the disease. But to be fair, he went with the, if you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything (laughs) at all policy, which is a sharp break from the president's be an asshole at all times policy. So that takes courage to make that. Are we okay. seeing a split in the in the, in the Trump administration? Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's between cowardness and mean spiritedness. Right, that's that's a huge break. Yeah. Did he know it was World AIDS Day, or was it just his daily address <laughs> in which he didn't mention LGBTQ plus people? As much as his rhetoric is different than the president's rhetoric, it follows a larger strategy. The administration is using a strategy where if they don't acknowledge something. That means it doesn't exist. Oh, we've all done that. Right. Right. Like with the environment, there is no issue with global warming. So there, because of that, there is no issue with it because we said there was no issue with it. We didn't even address it. That's, so, the best, that's a very simple solution. Very simple. So that means that uh, the LGBT community is not dealing with HIV AIDS. Then they've cured it. Right. Because it, they're not affected by it. God, that's a genius. Yeah. That's so, so much simpler than medical science. Yeah, it's, well, here's the thing. Scientists uh, do not support this uh, with their fake news and fake logic and fake experiments and research. They would strongly disagree. Right. But, I mean, Pence giving a speech on World AIDS Day, given his track record of not being entirely inclusive or supportive of, uh, of gay rights and related issues, to me, that was rather like getting Ronald McDonald to give the keynote speech at a slow food conference. <laughs> Or Jack Ruby to give an address on the critical importance of allowing due legal process in criminal cases. <laughs> it was bizarre, at best, awkward and unhelpful. Um, Scott Schutz of the LGBTQ advocacy group Lambda Legal's HIV Project called Mike... Actually, I'll do this as a multiple choice, Helen. Mm-hmm. Can you guess what Scott Schutz called this, uh, uh, said about Pence's speech? Did he describe it as A, insightful, sensitive, tolerant, open-minded and, above all, deeply rooted in scientific knowledge and research... B, laugh out loud funny, genuine belly laugh from start to finish, five stars. C, oddly sexy. Or D, short-sighted and biased. Uh, I'm going to go B. Incorrect. Incorrect was short-sighted and biased. Um, Classic pants. Christmas news now, and Christmas has been cancelled and reinstated by a school in Yorkshire... Lady Lumley School in uh, Pickering uh, told uh, pupils that Christmas was off because 
the true meaning of Christmas had, quote, been buried under an avalanche of commercialisation. Isn't that the true meaning of Christmas? Well, yes. Snow of commercialisation. Yeah, absolutely. And also, it's not Christmas that has been buried under an avalanche of commercialisation. It's the entire planet, and that, that's of which Christmas is clearly part. Well, also, what is the true meaning of Christmas, given that it's a pagan festival co-opted by Christians? It's also an individual's birthday party where everyone else gets presents. Oh, vexing. Very upsetting. Yeah. Luckily, he's so generous-spirited, he doesn't mind. <laughs> and also, I mean, it's buried under an avalanche of commercialisation, yes, but also, you could express that as saying, made a f*** of a lot more fun, <laughs> because... You know, before the avalanche of commercialisation, just spend the entire day in church praying and stuff, eat a roast hedgehog or whatever was scraped off the road and then die in hospital of typhoid. Now, presents all the way. Surely that's a huge improvement for Christmas. In terms of you know, Christmas as a gateway piece of religion for drawing people in, surely that's... Yeah, I mean, that's going to get kids going to get kids involved. Bribe people with calendars. Yeah. And gifts. I mean, it's the classic... Christian strategy, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, in Africa, it's uh, you want food, take this book. It's pretty much the same logic. Yeah, just because you, you get people involved, get impressionable young people hooked on religion, you get a lot of presents, happy songs, everyone being nice, donkey midwife and magic reindeer and granny getting drunk and falling asleep in a fruitcake. Are you in? Hell yeah, good. Now Easter, nail him up, nail him up, <laughs> nail him up. Repent, you evil sinner, or you'll burn in hell. Eat You're an cool. egg, eat an egg, eat an egg. I thought the school was actually onto something, though, because uh, the teacher said there'd be no cards, no parties, no gifts and no Christmas tree unless the students wrote a persuasive argument about why they should celebrate Christmas. And um, I think uh, being made to question this fairly ubiquitous uh, holiday is quite a good idea, isn't it? Right. It is. Also, you have to ask, in terms of commercialisation, who started it? And clearly, it was the three wise men pitching up <laughs> with their gold, bit flash, mm. frankincense, new age aromatherapy bullshit, and whatever the third one was. Some controversy over the term myrrh in the Bible. Current school of biblical thought is that the gospel stenographer, St. Linda, was sitting in the corner of the manger typing up the minutes of the holy birth. And just as wise man number three was uh, telling them what he'd brought them as a present, uh, baby Jesus did his first ever puke. Uh, a micro-messianic chunder, forever commemorating the word Bleh. <laughs> um, archaeologists digging up the manger think the actual gift was a breast pump ironically and of course there is nothing more Christian than the commercialisation of Christmas speaking as a Jew Yorkshire has a pudding right? Yorkshire yeah. does have a pudding ah, well done. thank you is, is you this the passed most... the citizenship <laughs> <laughs> is this the most notable thing to, uh, to happen in Yorkshire since the creation of the pudding? since War of the Roses yeah I was kind of, I don't know when 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 does the York, when do the Yorkshire pudding uh Well it's a do you know what it is, Harry? No. It's a, a batter pudding. It's a kind of like pancake mixture that you you put in the oven when you're making uh, a roast meat huh. say, and it kind of puffs up and you fill it with gravy. And they also you, you can make it a dessert as well if you so wish. You look a little upset. Yeah, how do you make it a dessert? You just fill it in with like frosting? Uh, I guess or f fruit, maybe stewed fruit, jam, jam, mm. gravy and jam. It's the complete all-in-one meal. Man, have you thought about having a pudding news section of the Bugle? <laughs> Next time you're on, Harry. Okay, great. In. I like the idea of doing Yorkshire traditions with Harry. So <laughs> ne next week, dripping. <laughs> week after that, Philip Larkin. And the week after that, defensive opening batting. 
Um, anyway. so are, are you just dazzled by the uh, plethora of ways in which Britain uses the word pudding? Yes! It's so strange because pudding has just meant dessert my whole life, and now all of a sudden you're telling me it could be something as disgusting as a as a meatball. Oh no, it could be far worse than that. It can Black be. Pudding. It can be. Yeah, it can be a blood sausage. Ugh. It can be a kind of beefy thing that is uh, has a pastry made with the the kidney fat of animals. Man, this is like when I found out about the pie. <laughs> so disappointed because the pie always meant like this beautiful like delicious sweet thing at the end of dinner and again another there's no no need for meat in it but yeah just uh open your mind open your crust to other <laughs> options uh, luckily christmas was eventually reinstated for the children of lady lumley school but with no santa instead to keep it real religiously um they had someone's mate's dad come into school dressed as king herod and slay all the boys just the first born ones so you would have been all right i think the one herod didn't he do all the under twos Oh yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, I don't think Sorry. I don't think he was a firstborner. Yeah. He was an under two. Well, you're 44, <laughs> so you'd be all right. In other Christmas news, a teacher in New Jersey has been sacked for telling children that Santa Claus doesn't exist. Yeah, well, people are fired for telling the truth now. No one likes experts. <laughs> truth is the enemy of freedom. Testify. Mm-hmm. This teacher apparently told the children that Santa wasn't real and that parents just buy presents and put them under the tree. She told the children that reindeer cannot fly, and that elves don't exist. Prove it! She went on to say that Tooth Fairy isn't real. And the same goes for the Easter Bunny. Mm. I mean... I mean, that, if they're upset about finding that out, wait until they find out that their entire democracy is a sham. And yeah. the <laughs> looks on their faces. And the world they're going to be adults in is melting. <laughs> Also, this is a, an unfortunate position the children are in. They have to now show gratitude for their parents buying them gifts and giving them money. Yeah. That is something they did not have to worry about previously. No, absolutely. Well, as, a, as a parent of... Uh, see, so we, we, in our family, we, we got one present from Father Christmas. This is how I discovered... I say discovered. This is how my suspicion is not proved yet. That I started to <laughs> be- believe that Father Christmas did not exist. Uh, because I got, we used to get one present from Father Christmas on the top of our stockings, and I went to a friend's house, and she had loads of presents. And I said, "Who's that from?" She said, "That's from Father Christmas." And who's that one from? It's from Father Christmas. And all her presents were from Father Christmas. Huh. Being the five-year-old Sherlock Holmes that I was, I started to piece it all together. The whole edifice of Western capitalism came crushing down before my eyes. You didn't figure out that Father Christmas was a bigot. I mean, it is possible he was anti-Semitic. Mm. I guess there was. He's always got that card up his large red sleeve yeah what are the ethics about lying to children what's your rubric on this andy is the possessor of children i tell them nothing but the pure unvarnished truth helen as you very well know <laughs> i know that they uh, really seem to have trouble understanding what is reality and what isn't because you've raised them <laughs> that's a good that's a good skill to have though isn't it to not know what what's real and what's not that helps you navigate the modern world just to assume that nothing can be fully trusted because you have a father who is an inveterate bullshitter I've set them up for life. Sure. I have told my daughter that baby Jesus and that wasn't real, but can't bring myself to tell her the Santa side of things. Well, she gets a bit more benefit from Santa because there's a material gain, whereas what's baby Jesus ever done for her, apart from die for her sins? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, There was also a slight inconsistency, Harry, in the American education system, but it seems that you're not allowed to debunk Santa, Mm. but you are allowed to bunk creationism. That is correct. Right. Yes. Th- this is this makes complete sense to me. Yeah. yeah right. 
my father-in-law does a lot of Santa gigs because he looks exactly like Santa, um, but his business card says the Santa Dave because I think he wants it just to be clear that he is an ambassador for the Santa myth, right? Rather than actual Santa himself, actual Santa, the Santa. <laughs> There's also a lot of fonts on his business card. Right. I mean, do we know that Santa Claus's real name is not Dave? And that he has, you know... His like real name is kind of Nicholas, isn't it? St. Nicholas. Because right. I don't think Hulk Hogan's real name was Hulk, was it? Prove it. No, it was Terry. <laughs> Went with Hulk. Good idea. Right. What, good. Is his surname really Hogan? No, I believe it. Belaya. Belaya. I'm, I... Did you look that up, Chris, or did you also know it? No, I was a wrestling fan in the aces. <laughs> yeah, I'm a casual wrestling fan. I felt bad that I knew it, though. Did you feel bad? Doesn't look like he feels bad. No, I feel pretty chuffed, actually. <laughs> he looks pretty chuffed. <laughs> Terry the wrestler. It doesn't quite have the same ring to it. <laughs> anyway, so, so there it is. You can't tell children about the the, uh, the, the tooth fairy. You can, the government can tell everyone in America to believe in the oil and coal fairy, but the tooth fairy is out. And uh, you can't stick it to the sacred Christian cow that is the Easter bunny. And um, the origin of the Easter bunny uh, is quite interesting. Apparently Jesus, on the cross, did bunny ears with his fingers behind the head of a Roman centurion, which was pretty much his only available form of protest, given the, uh, you know, naily-naily hand-hand thing. And then he laid an egg. <laughs> he did lay an egg. Maybe I should learn about Christianity from another source. <laughs> I'm starting to question some of these things that you are saying. I'm not sure how true they are. Jesus laying an egg. <laughs> Prove that he didn't. He could do miracles. <laughs> Last week, we launched the Bugle Drabvent calendar. <laughs> um, a drab thing for every day of uh, December, up to, the, up to and including the 24th. Um, we're picking it up now with your Drabvent calendar entry for the 10th of December. <laughs> 10th of December. A packet of stale cheese biscuits found open but mostly uneaten in a cupboard. Now four years past their best before date. The top one slightly nibbled. 11th of December. A newspaper advertisement for orthopaedic socks cut out with scissors with the order section filled out, but never sent. 12th of December. Dennis and Marjorie from down the road. 13th of December. A carriage on a commuter train on a wet January morning stopped outside a disused warehouse, running 14 minutes late. 14th of December. A lone grey sock in a hedge. 15th of December. A video cassette of highlights of the 1997 Seniors Golf Tour. There will be more from the Drabvent calendar if uh, I can be asked to do it next week. Saw uh, an Advent calendar in a supermarket in Streatham that um, each day you get a different screwdriver head. <laughs> <laughs> and by Christmas you've got a full socket set. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what Jesus would have wanted. It was a carpenter. Other news now, and um, oh, how old are you, Harry? Thirty-six. And how do you would you like to be considered legally? About thirty-six. Okay, right. Because uh, as our age transformation correspondent, uh, a man in Holland has attempted to have his age legally reduced from what sixty-nine to forty-nine. Yes, I believe that's right. Right, sixty-nine. Good age. Yep. <laughs> but um, <laughs> family show. <laughs> 
but yeah, I mean, I think his hope is that they would lessen his age 20 years, but I don't think he took into account that the courts could do nothing for his face or his potential poor <laughs> penile functions. <laughs> seemed to be key in this. Also, he, w- he wanted to be younger so that he could date younger women on Tinder. Yes, which, uh, first of all, what better way to start a relationship than with an elaborate lie sanctioned by the courts? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, also, creepiness is not a measurable thing. It's a feeling. He is creepy. Right. There's nothing you can do about that. But he doesn't self-identify as creepy, so... Therefore, no. he does right. not want us to see him as creepy. Right. Okay. He's, he self-identifies as a young god. Right. <laughs> I can have all the girls I want, but not after I tell them I'm 69. Right. When did gods Cruel. need the legal system to stop time? <laughs> That's a good point. The Greek gods didn't think about that. No. Breaking um, the law all over the place. Yeah, I mean, they were really not... I don't think they were necessarily role models that you should look up to romantically, the Greek no, gods. They not were respectful at dating. Truly appalling individuals. Also, he's saying that like gender is uh, something that one could change, so why couldn't he change his age? And the difference is that uh, for many trans people, they actually believe they're, they've been in the body for much of their life. And uh, for this man, like there is no way that when he was 21, he was like, I am one. I am one years old. Mummy, mummy, can I have a nipple, mummy? Can I have a, This is a sociology lecture, sir. Mummy, I'd like a nipple, mummy. Like, that's ridiculous. Of course, like, he's a liar. Like, it's spent, not something he had. spent a lot of time with one-year-olds. <laughs> Do they not say that? Mummy, I'd like a nipple, mummy? Not necessarily in those words. <laughs> The court said that he is at liberty to feel 20 years younger and to act accordingly. <laughs> <laughs> Which is kind of the response my mum would have given if I had ever asked her for something. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Manage your own emotions, dear. I would like to consider be legally considered 66 years old so I can get a free seat on a bus. Also, you could much more easily become the oldest person in the world. You could hit a good, like, 150 and just, you know... Because you you know, made your age eighty years older. Records a record, isn't it? Yeah, it's legal. A hundred and fifty year old man on Tinder would be very funny. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon a lot of people would just to see. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he would. Uh, he'd do well. I can't believe everything still works for a hundred and fifty slash thirty six. Oh, he's ejaculating sawdust. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, that brings us to the end of this week's uh, Bugle. Harley, you are on at the Soho Theatre until the 16th? The 16th, and then I'm in Copenhagen, and then Amsterdam, then Antwerp. Um, full European tour. Uh, I begin at Soho Theatre on the 18th of December. Uh, run through to the 5th of January with a few days off for things like Christmas and uh, New Year. Do come along to that. We'll also feature Alice Fraser. Helen, anything to plug? Uh, I've got a gig at SF Sketchfest on January the 25th. There you go. Consider that uh, that plugged. Thank you for listening, Buglers. By next time we record, we might have an entire new government. We might have voted to, to join South America. Who knows? These are exciting times. What are we going to get for Christmas? A complete, catastrophic collapse of British democracy. What we always wanted. Until next time, goodbye. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. 
Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss Lime Bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you 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 must be so excited. Listen now. <laughs>